growth pains. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this new episode of Growth Pains, where we talk about how we all screw up when trying to grow our businesses. I'm your host, Ignacio Gallegos, uh, also known as Nacho. And today I have a really good guest to who we will be talking about dealing with failure, letting go of what others think of you, finding and bringing in senior leaders who have been there before, and learning to delegate to move faster. My guest today is Lloyd Lobo. He's a co-founder and president of Boast AI. For those who are not familiar with Boast, uh, the US and the American government basically give out millions of dollars in R&D tax credits, and Lloyd makes it much easier for hundreds of companies to be able to, to, apply, to, to apply for those, for those uh, tax credits, which is really nice. And he recently uh, raised 30 million in his Series A, so congrats to that, Lloyd. And uh, besides that, you're the founder of the TractionConf, a community of over 60K uh, really successful growth experts and entrepreneurs. So happy to have you, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I couldn't be better. I, I don't know if I should share my COVID story here, but yeah, yeah. I have a, I, I have a second lease of life. You know, uh, it's interesting. We announced our series a December 10th and then my wife's an ER physician on December oh, wow. 20. Yeah. So, uh, so she brought some presents home, which is COVID. On December 23rd, we all tested positive for COVID, God. my whole family. Um, seven to 10 later, days later, everyone was fine. Uh, Jan 2nd, I woke up unable to breathe. My, uh, I, I just Jeez. felt like somebody drugged me and was punching me in the chest. I got uh, to rush to the hospital. Uh, they did a chest x-ray and I turned into COVID uh, pneumonia and uh, bilateral, so both of my lungs were filled with the virus with pockets uh, and, and not visible in the x-ray. And I had to be on oxygen and get meds via IV, strong steroids um, that had a 10, to a 10 plus day course. And after that, I experienced all these crazy side effects like rage and swollen ankles and and um. losing my losing my mind and shortness of breath. I mean, I'm still not 100%, although you can you can hear some hoarseness in my voice and I might cough once or twice. Yeah. Uh, it may take a few months because um, I have some follow-up pulmonologist appointments, but I think I got the luck of the draw here. I thought I was pretty healthy, no pre-existing conditions. Yeah, you're, all, you're all, late 30s, right? So very young. Yeah, and only, uh, only 10 to 15% of the people get this uh, severe. But, you know, you appreciate life more. As I was in the hospital sitting there, there was a couple of nights I felt like I'm just not going to make it. Yeah. And there's throughout that, every waking moment in the hospital, I thought of only one thing. Uh, you know, it's not about the money in your bank. It's about the number of people at around your tombstone. So relationships matter a yeah. lot. And, and that's been my philosophy throughout life. But, uh, you know, so respect and honor and, and support the people around you. I thought about only one thing, though. Ah, last six months during COVID, eight months, I spent most of my time working. And I wish I spent more time with my kids and family. Uh, you know, if I went out today, that would be my biggest regret. So, yeah, yeah new, new appreciation for life. I think, you know, this is about failures. Uh, so I guess starting with one failure, definitely as, <laughs> as, as, as entrepreneurs, uh, we often think that, you know, we got to hustle 24-7. But, you know, um, it's important to make time for family because ultimately you're building a business. Yes, it comes out of passion and everything else. But you got to realize your family is also passionate for you and, and, and they want to spend time with you. And giving that time to them is, is very, very important. And you got to figure out ways to give them that time. 
because if something happens to you, uh, that's not coming back. Yeah, and that's no been, serious that's aid matters, my, no money matters. It all goes to shit really quickly. Yeah, and that's been my one key failure uh, over the years, you know, as a bootstrapped uh, founder and entrepreneur is like, uh, I've spent less time with family and and, uh, like to, and, and yeah. sort of more on the business. And a lot of us do that. And, and this was a big realization that, you know, don't do that kind of thing. Like, like, cool. like find a balance. Right? So. Well, man, it's a crazy, crazy ride you got there. But uh, I, I also think it's really good to talk about it to raise a bit more awareness because, you know, it's uh, it, it's been difficult from the beginning to, for a lot of people to take it seriously. And you can see that a lot of healthy people, uh, the more healthy people like tell their story, the more we all get a bit more uh, aware of the of the problem, right? So that's really great. Uh, let me start off, we're gonna talk plenty about fla failures and I have a lot of the questions related to what you were just talking about, but we usually start with uh, like a little true or false, right? So let me kick off with like a few short sentences, you tell me true or false, and then we get into the topics. So the first one, building a community is one of the best hacks to grow your business fast, true or false? It, um, if, you're, if, you're, if you remove two words, um, I think it's true, um, but otherwise it's false because one, it's not a hack and two, it's not fast. Yeah, they're there, they're there for that reason. <laughs> yeah, you have to really dedicate time to it, right? It's not something that you can just be like, oh, I'm just going to create a LinkedIn group and all of a sudden it's going to be uh, growing my business. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Uh, the next one, uh, the so-called soft skills are much more important than hard skills for today's and tomorrow's leaders. True or false? Um, true. Yeah. I feel true. Depend on what industry you are, right? So like if you're a doctor, like soft skills are not going to help you. If you're a programmer, soft skills are not going to help you. Yeah. Uh, only, only, right? You need you need a combination. I think you always need a combination, but like if you're a new grad coming into startups and growth, a lot of hard skills you can learn on the job if you have the aptitude which is a soft skill. So, yeah. Like you know, yeah, soft yeah. skills are key. Right. All right. Next one. Hiring is the hardest part of building a successful company. True or it's false? Def it's definitely one of the hardest things. I, I will say true. Yeah. Definitely. Because I'm trying to scale a, you know, we're trying to scale a company from 35 people to probably 80 people this year. And um, in the last month, we've added 10 people while I was away. And I don't even know half of them. Because the thing is, it's not about hiring. The job of a leader is to build and motivate a team to deliver. So there's three key metrics there. Building is not just about hiring. It's yeah. about it's about your your. It's like creating a foundation. If you create a foundation on on uh, crappy uh, materials, the building is going to be shaky and then eventually fall. So it's about hiring people that are a cultural fit, where you're selling them on the company as much as they're selling them uh, is selling you on their uh, abilities. And it's a, it's a match, right? It's almost like a marriage. So like you know. The job is like, you know, when you're saying you're building, it's like hiring, it's coaching, it's motivating, it's make, it's making sure we grow alongside them. They have the opportunity as well. So it's that whole spectrum there. And that's what makes it very difficult. If you want to just hire people, you can hire people. But like building them for career progression and helping them grow uh, is the key thing. So I feel like a key metric of every leader should be uh, hiring yeah, uh, um, uh, motivating people, like inspiring and motivating people, and and uh, there should be metrics around that. Uh, career progression of your team, meaning how they're progressing, and meeting certain milestones, and growing. Like if people don't have a career path, for example, like you know how are they growing? 
and then the output because you know what everything has a leading and a lagging indicator right yeah when you join when you join a company you're super enthusiastic right uh but then that dies there's a difference between passion and enthusiasm passion uh, passion is like forever like you're passionate about something it's like music michael jackson right like uh, you are so passionate about that skill that even if you don't like the company and the culture you'll go somewhere else and do it because you are passionate about that or you'll do it as a side gig right like like you're doing this podcast yeah uh, but like enthusiasm is you'll be excited for it and then like as soon as things get rough you lose interest right it's it's just another job so your job as a leader is to build inspire motivate people to deliver the output. So you need all of those metrics. That's what makes it hard. So if you change the question of building versus hiring, I think I would say yeah, it's the hardest thing. All right. All right. Cool. Let's dive into the pains, right? The first one is dealing with failure. You were just talking about the COVID COVID situation, but I think I want to start flipping it the other way around. And what's your definition of success, right? You briefly said, you know, like I realize it's not money anymore. I realize now it feels more like spending time with my family. What is it today, your definition of success? And has it changed with the recent experience, right? Or, or in the last years? It, it, it sort of, uh, we've always had that mindset. I've always had that mindset. It's just uh, culture, upbringing. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it was, it become more balanced, you know, it's becoming more balanced. Meaning like I, when you bootstrap a company, it's like your baby, right? Because you're not taking outside money. When you take investor money from day one, it's an experiment with somebody else's dollars to get to the next level. But when you bootstrap a company, it's like your baby. And so like, I almost felt like I treat the company more like my family than my own family. So yeah. now it's more balanced. But but generally, the definition of success to me is how, how your relationships transcend. How your relationships transcend. Meaning for me, it's like um, previous company, I had colleagues that wanted to come over to boast. One of the, yeah. one of the, one of the, and I told them, hey, you guys are on Silicon Valley, guys. I'm building, you know, this is a bootstrap company. I can't afford you. One of the guys, he, he was at Intercom. He left and he said, I'll take a pay cut, but I just want to work with you. Relationships transcend, right? Uh, I said about, uh, I said something earlier. Everything has a leading indicator and a lagging indicator. The lagging mm -hmm. indicator is, of course, you make a lot of money. The leading indicator is something, right? And, and, and it's a combination of um, the people and their expertise and their relationships. And of course, you need to have a good product. But ultimately, it's a community. It's, it's your relationship, right? Relationship with your customer, relationship with your uh, colleagues, relationship with the community. Yeah. And ultimately, if you have a good relationship where they see you as a part of their success, then you will succeed. And so that's my definition is like uh, our clients, our community, my colleagues, do they consider me as a part of their success? Uh, and, and that's the definition of success. Because honestly, that is the leading indicator. If employees, if your colleagues feel, uh, you know, you're really, into, you're, you're really part of their success, uh, they're going to do their best to help your business succeed. If you help people in the community, one of my key philosophies is help enough people get what they want and you will get what you want. So give before you take build community, right? We build this traction community. Now, actually, when I emailed you, it had 60,000 subscribers a few months ago. We've grown to almost 90,000 subscribers, maybe a little more. It's like, if you help them get something, we don't charge for any of the events, and I'll share the story around that, other, other than the in-person conference. Uh, they feel like I get all these messages that, hey, you've been a great part of our success. Thank you for sharing this. Uh, and our clients, right? Our clients feel like, hey, 
they don't just provide a product, but anytime I need something, I can call them. Like, you know, yeah. whether, whether it's served. So if you're part it's of social credit, it's social, social credit. credit, it's like the tax credit you were talking about, social credit. You can always <laughs> piggyback on it. Exactly. So if you're part of people's success, you will succeed. And that is the key thing, right? It's, uh, I talk, uh, I talk about this also a lot is like passion versus transaction. Hmm. Uh, if you're passionate about, uh, things, right. Um, then, uh, then, uh, it, you will succeed. If you're treating it like a transaction to make one to two to three, then eventually, uh, you know, you may or may not succeed. No, I, I, I totally agree. I think one of the trickiest parts of this is like uh, you recently posted in your social media an image that I thought was really nice where you have a, a quote that says something like, what matters is not the journey, neither the destination. What really matters is the companion that you have along the way. Uh, it was like this image of a dragon with something like that. I thought it was really cool. But the thing with these inspirational quotes and so on, right, is that we all feel them. And when we see them, we get really inspired and we're like, oh, yeah, I have a great partner. I have a great this. I'm, I should be really happy. But then in the split of a minute, we look at our bank accounts or at our lives or whatever. And we go like, God damn it, I'm not a billionaire yet. Or, you know, I don't, I'm not in the job I want to do. I'm not in the... Do you feel that, you know, in five years from now, if Boast doesn't get to where he needs to go with this money... Uh, you'd be still feeling successful if if that professional part wasn't there, but your personal part was on par. You're muted, though. I think if we fulfill those three things, helping our clients, community, yeah, and and colleagues become successful, then we will get there. Yeah. Okay. And th cool. And that is a, that is a big part of it, right? That is a big part of it. I'll tell you that because. You know, our mission at, at Boast uh, is to help innovative companies become successful. And we do that through our product, right? We help, we've, we've been, everything we've been building is about helping people get more money from the government through these R&D incentives so they can fund their product development without giving up equity and dealing with red tape. But while we serve our, our mission, help innovative companies become successful through our product, we build traction as a community to take that mission further because the founders and CEOs of companies need more than just R&D credits. They need like fundraising uh, uh, for equity. They need growth, they need scaling, they need marketing, they need sales. And so we're providing all of this support to them, um, right? And that karma has come back. We've like, you know, as a bootstrap company to grow to like eight figures and raise uh, 23 million uh, USD or 30 million Canadian dollars um, after bootstrapping to over 10 million in revenue, it's a huge feat, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's very difficult to bootstrap, trust me. Building a company is hard enough, right? Yeah. Fundraising is like super hard, building a company is hard enough. But bootstrapping it is just like, come on. Yeah. Like it's, a, it, uh, you know, and it takes a village to do that, right? I, You know, our, our clients who have the faith, uh, our colleagues who've been along the journey and the community, right? Yeah. Has been, has been instrumental. No, 100%. Do you, do you think Silicon Valley... Uh, in, and, or the tech industry in general has created an unrealistic concept of what successful is, right? There's plenty of people that to our parents' standard, right? Or like our previous generation's standards would be really successful and they don't feel successful within this environment of hyper-successful. How do you feel about that? You know, uh, I think there is this unrealistic expectation of what success is, which is you triple uh, from year one to two, you triple from year two to three, and then you yeah. double, 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 and then you IPO, and that's a great company, Yeah. right? Uh, 
and you triple, triple, you double, 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 and then you IPO. Well, that's a great company too, but there are many great companies that who haven't done that and, and who've, who've built successful companies. Success yeah. is what your internal definition is. It's not like raising venture funding and then going IPO only, right? There are so many companies that have bootstrapped to success. There are so many companies who've been lifelong businesses. Everyone has their own definition of, uh, uh, definition of success. One example is like superhuman, right? Uh, the email product yeah. and Rahul's a great, phenomenal entrepreneur. And uh, I think he's taken like almost seven years uh, or six, five, six plus years to get traction. They never triple, triple, double, double, double. Anything good takes time. Anything yeah, they kept their cost time. low, kept it exclusive until they could actually uh, ramp it up. Yeah, good things take time. And sometimes, you know, you go viral and you lend yourself to triple, triple, double, double. Like sometimes you, you can also go in and raise, like if, if, if everyone gets 100 or 200 million out of the gate or 50 million out of the gate, I'm sure you can do a lot of things. I'm sure also you many would fail because they wouldn't know how to spend it. Like more people die of indigestion than starvation sometimes because greed kills, right? Yeah. And also speed can kill. Uh, and you're balancing those two things uh, when you're hyper growing like that. But like hyper growth is Silicon Valley. Hyper growth is not the only way. There's multiple ways to build a business. You got to understand what is success. As, as founders, one of your key things is to define what does success look like for me? How long do I want to work in the business? What does happiness mean for me? Uh, and, and how long of a journey uh, I want it to be? Even right? as a you person, define, right? Even in, as an individual, you should figure that stuff out. Like, what, what do I want to do in, in life in general, right? Where, where do I, where my goals are? And that's really healthy as well. So definitely. Looking in the, so one of the things I, I read recently and I wanted to take your take on this is that I was going through LinkedIn and I saw this post from an, an influencer that I just thought it was, uh, one of the most ignorant things I've ever heard, but it was about how everyone gets endless opportunities in life and some of us just take them uh, and we call the rest lucky when they are successful, right? So basically there's no thing as luck. Everybody gets equal opportunities and then whoever takes them, we call them lucky. Uh, in reality, that's clearly not true. There's a lot of people that don't have a level playing field uh, out in the world and those are actually the majority. How much of a role has chance played and just been in the right place in the right time in your career. Is there a big portion of that success that you attribute to just random luck to I for think, lack of I a better word? Firstly, like I think I've, uh, you know, we've met, we're on path to uh, our, my personal definition of success when I was starting out, which is good. Uh, right. And, uh, but like long journey to go because your definition of success changes at every milestone. Right. It's like greed. Kill. I said greed and speed kills, but that's human nature. You want yeah. to progress and you want to do better and better. But like uh, if you ask me when we started in the business today, would I would consider successful like you're aspiring for today. But today is like something else. Right. Uh, yeah. It's a combination of things. It's a combination of things. Uh, you know, uh, my mom's very religious. I'm not before every major deal, before every press release, before anything major in my life. I call my mom and I'm like mom, please pray for me. This is happening without fail since I am come into existence because I know she's extremely religious. I'm not. And she has a lot of good karma, much more than me. And so before everything, I call her and say, mom, uh, please pray for me. This is going to happen. This such and such press release is going to go out. Make sure it's successful. Nothing bad happens. Uh, make sure like the fundra fundraise goes through uh, every single moment. Right. Um, it's the relationships you build. Right. Um, we have so much access. We even met our investors through the traction community, right? 
You can mm-hmm. call it chance, but we built that community. So it's a combination of things. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who don't have a level playing field. They just they just don't, and that's the reality of the situation, right? Yeah. Uh, and 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 uh, you know, um, my parents were middle class people, right? And uh, they gave me a good education as best as they could. And they, uh, you know, I grew up in Kuwait in the Middle East, and they brought me to Canada. And uh, after I finished engineering, I moved from Canada to the U.S. I had a level playing field, right? Uh, a lot of people do not have level playing fields, yeah. but uh, you know that's that's the reality. I think it's it's hard work, it's combination of luck, it's chance, it's being in the right place, and the collective karma of the good deeds you do or your your parents have done. It's a combination of things. Yeah. Right? Hard yeah, work goes absolutely. along. Hard work goes a long way, uh, but uh, you need other elements too. Yeah, that's that's the message, right? I think in general, people tend to feel like uh, it's all in their hands, right? And and that you can achieve anything. And, and the bad side about that is that when it doesn't work out, you feel like crap because you feel like you are the problem, right? And and very often that's not always the case. Uh, that's a that's a good segue to the next pain you you mentioned, right? Which is letting go of what others think of you. Uh, which I thought was a really interesting because you've mentioned all along the importance of relationships, right? And, and how important those have been in your career. And that is very tied with worrying quite significantly about what they think about you and what their community thinks about you. Uh, they say that, you know, like uh, the quickest way to becoming unhappy is comparing yourself to others. But as we talked before, it's just human nature and we just tend to do that. In a world where making millions is not cool anymore, now it's all billions and unicorns and, and nothing seems to be enough. Um, Now, when you compare yourself to five years ago, you just said, you feel pretty damn good, right? That's, that's, a, that's a, the thing. But do you find yourself falling back in that trap of like forgetting about that five-year comparison and comparing yourself more to Jeff Bezos than to five years ago, Lloyd? You know, um, it's to, without a goal, you can't really succeed in life, right? And mm. uh, what doesn't get measured doesn't get done kind of thing. It's important to have metrics, right? And in working out and in life, it, it, especially in working out, when you see these bodybuilders, I, uh, I wish I could be one. And, and I look at them and there's this concept of progressive overload. The reason why you get bigger and bigger is because you add more weight, more stress. Stress is the precondition for growth. Nobody sort of grows without adding stress. And if you're coasting and do, doing the same thing all the time, um, you're not going to grow, right? So it's, it's like about How do you add more? How do you take on more? How do you expand? Then you get comfortable, you outgrow it and you grow, right? So like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jeff Bezos also has probably had a combination of lots of hard work, intellect, and, um, and, and, and uh, karma and a combination of other things, market timing and all of that, right? So there's a saying by, uh, um, I, I forget it's who, was a very popular entrepreneur and VC that uh, when the market... When it's when a great market meets a a bad idea, the market wins. When yeah. a great idea meets a bad market, the market wins. And when a great idea meets a great market, magic happens, right? So the truth is somewhere in between there. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Uh, in a way, though, like you know, I, what worries you more though? I, when, when you think about what people think of you, because we all do that, right? Does it worry you more than they think that you're a shitty founder or that they think that you're a shitty person? What so, is the one? You know, my most important thing is I don't think I'll be able to sleep well at night if people think, and this is the unfortunate thing. So the number one thing is you shouldn't care what people think about you. If yeah. you want to be, 
uh, and this is this is this is my personal opinion here. I feel some of the smartest, uh, richest, most successful people in the world don't care about what others think of them, right? Yeah. Uh, definitely, uh, for whatever reason, culturally and and uh, upbringing and all these factors come into play here. I come from a, a you know my, my Indian background, right? And and we have this thing where failure is not celebrated. Right, uh, like Silicon Valley, failure is it's like frowned hey, upon. is yeah. frowned upon very, and and probably culturally for you as well, right? Yeah, like yeah. In, in our cultures, failure is frowned upon. So like you know, um, and and gossip spreads like wildfire because it's, it's community. Oh, this person did this. This person's kid this. So yeah. I've grown up with that mentality. Oh, I saw I saw your son smoking, or your son has. Uh, you know, uh, my, my, my son got 90% or oh, your son only got uh, 80. Oh, that's really bad. You know, with that mentality. Yeah. So, you know, um, and I'm not blaming, but it's just a cultural environment you're uh, uh, brought up in and you got to just build the mechanics to overcome it. Uh, there was a time where I really cared what people thought of me, mm. both professionally and personally. Like I put a lot of weight into it and it would, uh, it would weigh on my brains. Um, I think over the years that's decreased. I wouldn't say it's gone. And mm. um, I think though, if I had to pick about worrying uh, uh, sort of from a shitty person versus shitty entrepreneur, I'll take shitty person any day because I'd rather people not think I'm a shitty person uh, yeah. all day long. They can think I'm a shitty founder. Yeah, you can always get back from it, right? If, you, if you're actually considered a nice person, as we were just saying, you can always cash out on some friends here and there and, and, and get back from whatever situation you find yourself in in business uh, with, with people helping you along the way and so on. Um, nowadays, so when you think about, about boast failing, right? Because that's something that when you take money from, from investors or so must cross your mind fairly often. Uh, do you worry more about the business failing itself Or do you worry more about your track record, right? About what, what, what that would be in the community, what people would say about it. What's the, the biggest worry there? I don't care about like my You track. don't care about that at all? No. Yeah, because like, because I'll, I'll tell you one thing. Um, before, uh, while we were doing Boast, when life was tight and money was tight, I went and joined the founding team of another company because they had money to pay and I was parallel tracking them. Uh, and we had raised six million there. That company failed. It was funded by really good investors uh, like Bessemer and Salesforce and Twilio. Uh, and uh, before that, we did a uh, me and my co-founder at Boast uh, again dual tracking at Boast. We did a company called Automatically, which was a chatbot mm. in 2013-14. That also failed. Um, you know, uh, stress is a precondition of growth, and not every bodybuilder is going to lift heavy is going to bring it down. It may fall down on them, right? So those failures uh, are important. Those scars are important because you learn from them, right? I learned a lot from the experiences that automatically and speakeasy. And then before that, I was uh, um, a pretty senior exec at two startups. And startup exec is nothing, right? Like it's pretty flat organization, two venture-backed startups, where I was responsible for sales, marketing, and one place responsible for product. So I was frontline on the strategy and those companies failed. And I'll define failure for you very importantly, mm -hmm. right? Um, failure is when the desired outcome of the founders is not met. So what that means is if you're a VC-backed company and the companies get acquired, so those early companies that I worked at, they got acquired, but the founders didn't make money and the executives definitely didn't make money. Only the <laughs> investors got their money back. Yeah. Um, Uh, or it could be you shuttered something. 
Uh, right. So I consider that failure. So they were all learning experience for me. So I think failure, you got to aspire to fail at something every day. Like, you know, uh, we're, uh, I'm testing out some form of ads uh, this month. Uh, it's not working out. I'm failing at it. Right. Like that's failure. You learn, uh, you learn from failure. So I don't care about the track record. Who cares? Because it helps you learn and move on. Um, yeah. You know, one of the key things for bootstrapping boast and raising money after several years is, is one key thing is we uh, always said, we'll take money when we can turn $1 into $3, right? Uh, and we took money when we were there. So we have all the metrics figured out. So it's fairly, I shouldn't say anything can happen at any time, right? The yeah. market can fall, everything can crash. But like, uh, we've sort of tried to be as careful as possible. And also even the investment partners, they're phenomenal, uh, aligned with our vision, and aligned with the fact that, hey, sometimes, you know, you may need to step back. Like every phase of a company, like, for example, when you go from zero to one million, your DNA changes at one yeah. million, right? Your DNA changes, you need to implement some systems, some processes so you don't break. When you go from like one to five or three or four, uh, things change and you got you to gotta change systems, processes and whatnot. When you're going from five to 10, things change. Now, when you're at 10 and your next milestone is get to... 25 or 50, mm. things change. Your, your your DNA changes. Lots of things change, right? When you're over 10, uh, shooting to go to like over 50 or IP. Like you got to implement the system. And what is the key thing is to find the partners that will understand that. Because again, like I went the early example, if you build a crappy foundation, the building will be shaky and eventually fall. The thing with, the, with, the, uh, with doing a startup and trying to grow at the same time and build product and validate and do all these things at the same time is you got to sort of keep going back to the foundation and rebuilding it kind of thing, right? Adding things. So I think at a phase, like when, once you're over 10 million, you got to look at one, a few things. You got to look at all your leaders and see, have they taken a company from 10 to north of 50 before? If not, what sort of training and coaching and support you can get them, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the other thing is you got to look at all your systems and processes and see, can this scale? Like if I jam 5,000 customers through the system when I already have like 1,000 customers or 500 yeah. customers, how does it scale? And and you know what? If you ignore those fundamentals of business, like, you know, on the financial side, on the customer success side, uh, sales marketing side, product side, if you ignore those fundamentals, Things gonna break, right? So I, I give you another example on the product side. Yeah. Startup, you know, maybe it's a founder that's running product, or you have a product manager. Maybe you have seven developers. It's all managed. One person is managing it. Now tomorrow, if you go and add fourteen developers, twenty, thirty developers, one engineering manager or one product manager can't manage that, right? It's yeah. it's not humanly possible. Six, seven people you can directly influence. Five to seven. It's very hard to be invested in more people than that. So you got to create diversion. So the way I see it is if you have a product manager, one user experience person, um, seven-ish developers, that's one product line. Then mm -hmm. you got to create a diversion and, and, and bring another person in, right? So it's like those mechanics that your business may not have been structured, but you need to put that in place. And without doing that, if you come in tomorrow and say, you know what, all I'm going to invest in salespeople, let's go and hire 30 salespeople. One, your, your head of sales may have never grown a team to 30 and, yeah. and you've not identified that. 
and 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 you haven't got him the coaching and the learning and you say okay let's hire the best recruiter find 30 people in the next month and find another uh you know uh, five marketers and let's spend like two million bucks in ads and what happens the team starts breaking right like again, it comes down to what i said is building is not hiring building is coaching it's, it's hiring it's coaching it's motivating it's inspiring and helping people grow because if you help people grow your business will grow. Yeah. So uh, at, at every phase of your business, you got to understand that. Uh, and, and you know, this is all not something I just, I came up with. It's like talking to lots of entrepreneurs, but also learning. You got to look at yourself, right? You got to reflect. Okay, we're at one. Oh man, if I want to get to five, what do I need to do? Yeah, exactly. we're at five. Yeah, like you got to keep reflecting and keep building the foundation because growth at all costs will definitely kill you. That's an interesting one because you were talking about like uh, like doing that introspection, right? Like uh, imposter syndrome is one thing that we've talked shed loads in the podcast, right? And and I think in general is is kind of like the real pandemic that's going on in, in a lot of workplaces. Um, have you coped with it? Do you, do you still have you dealt with it? And do you still deal with it at, at this stage of your career? Because people tend to think that you know you get over it, but for many people, it's something that comes back to you once in a while that you just feel a bit like a fraud. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, the reason why I think startup founders feel that a lot is because oftentimes you don't have the best product that you're promising and selling out there. It's not there yet, mm -hmm. right? As founders, we have to keep also being salespeople. We got to polish the what what we what we have to in, to attract investors, to attract employees, to yeah. attract customers. And then they say it's not perfect. They give you feedback when you fix it. So that's one of the reasons why you why you feel that way. And like you know, I, I think it's human nature for everyone to feel that way. That pumps their stock a little more than than they should, right? They feel like ah, oh, you know, am I worth it? Kind of thing. Um, I think I think if you have uh, you know, I don't have an answer on how to cope with it because it's not like hit me uh, so much. Yeah. Like yeah, you know, I think I think I'm riding the wave of this fundraise, and also I'm riding the appreciation of having a new lease at life after battling a severe case of COVID. So those two things, I think, uh, is going to dissuade me from thinking about some of those things. But but yeah, like, uh, you know, when I was sick in the hospital, I thought about all the bad things I did and what a failure I've been, like every day, right? And I wish I spent time with family. So yeah. so those, those kinds of things. But honestly, man, um, whenever you're down and you're feeling miserable, the best thing is to talk to people. Yeah, just the best thing is to talk to people, uh, and and just talk it out, right? Just yeah. talk it out. Hundred percent. So one thing that that's interesting is that um, people that are performing at high levels tend to think that you need to keep that up constantly, right? I was uh, watching this TED talk. I'm going to share it after the the episode, but basically, on which they they say how in pre Renaissance we used to call a genius was like a moment right? It wasn't you. It was a moment of genius. So you could have a few of those in your lifetime and you would be like, okay, what a great <coughs> idea I had, what a great product I came up with or whatnot. But now we associate it with our identity, right? Like that person is a genius. That person is really smart. And that puts the entire pressure because before you would be like, oh, yeah, I haven't had one of those and it would be fine. And the ego wasn't there, wasn't in the equation. Now when you get a, a lucky strike, all of a sudden you're like, I have to keep this shit up. Right, I need to like I'm a I'm, I'm in that bucket now. I'm a really smart dude. I need to keep this up constantly. Um, do you find putting that pressure upon yourself? Do you go like from funding 
the next one higher and the next one higher, or you understand very well that at some point it's, it's going to go down and it's going to go back up and you deal well if, with that. If you ask me pre-funding, I mean, I mean, if you ask me uh, sort of pre-COVID, yeah, I would have probably had a different answer. Uh, now, honestly, um, uh, and maybe it may change in six months, right? I may go back to normal. Like I would really care that like, you know, what people think of us as a company and like competitors and our image in the community, I still do care. Yeah. But it's, it's put in perspective here. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think, I think if you ask yourself seriously and, and a lot of people don't write, I don't either. One of the things I hate doing, I hate, 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 hate. The most <laughs> difficult for me is writing. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Like writing blog posts, writing essays, uh, like, you know, I'm sitting on some people, uh, blog posts that I promised like for years. Right. Uh, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll get it to you. I just hate sitting down and writing. Right. I, I, I think, I think, um, it's not a big priority for me right now. I mean, but I think writing is a skill every leader, not like writing emails or like transcribe, like, you no, know, no. writing vision, yeah. uh, like LinkedIn posts and whatnot, but actually sitting and writing long posts. Right. And, uh, you know, you got to identify that gap and like, see if you can fill it with other people kind of thing. But, um, one of my, uh, my things is, is like, you gotta conquer that, right? Like mm -hmm. whatever, uh, whatever you hate, uh, doing or whatever is, is sort of not in your, uh, wheelhouse there. Yeah, absolutely. The other, the other thing we wanted to talk about was about like hiring. You said that you're struggling to finding the, the right people and especially people that have been there, right? Which is a very common thing you hear. I have kind of mixed feelings with that, uh, with that approach, because one of the things that happen is that companies put, you know, in a, in a job requirement or whatever, you know, somebody has taken this company from 10 million to a hundred million MRR, right? Or ARR. So it, otherwise it doesn't count. Right. And you start closing the doors sometimes to like really smart talent because you put these checkboxes right on, on your requirements. How can you find balance between, because as a founder, I get it, right. You want to minimize your risk. And you want to get somebody that you know has done this before. At the same time, that's not always a predictor of future success in the same thing. Because, you know, as we talked before, there's a lot of outside circumstances that come out in every equation. And you're hiring one person, not their entire department as well, which they all contributed. Um, is it important for you to try to find some balance there between giving people the opportunity to take a bigger leap in their careers? People that have never done that and also finding people that have done it before? Or do you just feel more founder's fear and give me everybody that has done that before? <laughs> it's a combination of things, man. It's a combination. Yeah. I said like, well, what you need to get from uh, zero to one, one to five, five to 10, 10 to 25, 25 to 50 uh, is, is very different, right? So like, for example, um, we bootstrapped the company. Almost everyone in the company hasn't been somewhere that's gone from like five to 50, let alone exactly. 10 to 50. At this stage, yeah, of course. Yeah. So our chief revenue officer, uh, Jeff Christie, solid guy, ace. Um, he's a former Olympian. He was our, like, I think employee number one or two. Uh, and um, he had never worked really anywhere before other than the Olympics. And when he interviewed with us, when we started, he was like in the Olympics and, uh, you know, we really liked him and we couldn't afford anything else, uh, to be quite frank and blunt, but. Uh, right. But that was pre-funding, right? When you get the funding, you're like, I'm going to hire the guy from Twitter, right? Yeah, you, you know? Not quite. So I'll, I'll, I'll break it down for you. Right. 
Um, and, and, and so he grew with us and he scaled to CRO. Right? So what I say is you as a founder, your responsibility is to your company and your company is your customers and your colleagues. And of course, if you have investors, investors, right? And, and if you're uh, interacting with the community, the community where you serve, right? In that order, right? Like um, my business, meaning customers, colleagues, investors, or some combination and, and some priority there, right? Mm-hmm. So your job as a founder is to also, at every stage of the company, de-risk one or two things, right? Early, you're de-risking market. Then you're de-risking uh, um, sort of... Uh, customer acquisition and scale, then you're risking maybe product and scale. So different things, right? So what your job as a founder is to look at every stage of the company and find people that fit the culture that will elevate your company and also grow with your company. Two things. Like that's, again, building, inspiring, motivating, deliver, right? So they will elevate your company and they will also grow. So those two things, right? Uh, And so what may happen is... um, also, as a leader, your number one job is to look at the gaps in your team and fill it. Your number one job as a leader is to inspire and motivate people and gotcha. to unfuck things. Like basically find how I can, what I can do to elevate the team, right? So for example, um, un- unfortunately, I wasn't involved in product at Boast for a very long time. And I only took over the product team last May. Um, one of the first thing I did was to see what are the teams struggling with? What is the team struggling with? And I felt like everything we're building was very dev-led. And I felt like the, you know, when I was looking at the developers as they were developing, they were struggling with one thing very consistently, front end and UX. And like to even move a line, it would take them hours, but like back end stuff would just fly. And then I asked them, I'm like, you guys aren't really experts in front end, right? And they're like, yeah, man, we hate it. We hate doing it. <laughs> so I'm like, but nobody will tell you. You have to ask them, right? You know, what is the one thing you hate doing? Like, what is your superpower? And yeah. how can I help you harness and elevate that? And what do you hate doing? So it's like everyone like hate front end. Literally in within a week and over the weekend, I built a list of all the UX people, front end people. And within a week, I made an offer. Right. So as your leader, your number one job is to identify the superpowers of your team and identify the things that are gaps that are necessary. Right. So what that means is inspire people and unfuck things, really. And, and so in that in, in that process, at every stage of the company, you got to visit. Right. So like, you know, at this stage, you're looking at, OK, me included. Yeah. If nobody nobody has gone from 10 to 100, it's like, what kind of coaching can I get? What kind of um, uh, skill sets can I bring in to complement people? And so uh, for certain positions, yes, very well. Hire uh, young, high performers who just want to grow and give them an opportunity. Hire smart people and get out of their way. But for some positions where if you, if you don't know how to do something and you bring on somebody who's also never done it before, then it's blind leading the blind. And think about it this way. Your priority as a founder is to do justice. You owe it to your customers, your yeah. clients, and your investors, right? So, for example, if I'm looking for, let's say, uh, you know, an ML position, and my company is Boast AI, and I need to build certain algorithms to go to the next stage. Now, I know I haven't personally built those kinds of algorithms, that specific expertise. Now, I can find a new grad 
from university in AI, but he hasn't done it before, right? He only has theoretical experience. Uh, now I'm going to analyze that and say, if I had an ML expert specialized in that specific algorithm, I could bring a new grad to learn from him and he could coach him and give him skill. But if I haven't figured out that one algorithm, I need the expert. Because yeah. if I don't, I'm doing a disservice to my investors, my clients, my colleagues. And that's a very important mindset to have. It's like, yeah. who 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 do you have priority for? And 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 you got to make decisions like that, right? No, so I get it's it. Like, so, so it's a balance of things. So if I... If I want to find tomorrow a, a CMO, um, I owe it to bring the best CMO who's done it before versus like, oh, somebody who's not done it and had experience. But I guess because I, you know what, if I yeah. bring three people who are who are not experienced, I myself won't be able to train them. So it's like blind leading the blind. No, I get that. And I think, I think it's very wise. In, in a way though, what happens is that I think there there's a subtlety there with what done it before is. Right, because some there are some things that are exact experience, like for example, saying, "Hey, you've gone from X ARR to X ARR." That's very precise, and there are some qualities that somebody needs to go through that process that somebody that hasn't done that ARR thing might have still. Right, so if you need to be resilient and you need to be hardworking and here and therefore, and you also have experience in this case, you were talking about marketing. So you have run a marketing team, just not in that range of revenue. You have done this, just not in that scale of team or something. Then I, I think it's also good to keep a little bit of bandwidth to say, okay, well, this person has what it takes. They don't take every single box, right? But yeah. we think we can handle them because they're close enough. Obviously not a grad, right? But somebody like that. Life is, life is a balance, man. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, you, if you keep ignoring the rocks on the way to find that diamond, then you're going to miss some of the diamonds in the rock, right? You exactly. got to talk, you got to talk to everyone. Life is not about being perfect. You know, one of the key things, uh, themes here that I said was, um, stress is a precondition of growth. If somebody's perfect, then uh, they may not be perfect for your situation, right? You just Absolutely. gotta find somebody who can handle your situation and who has enough experience, who's, who's done some of it before for some roles. And for some roles, you probably need, like, so for example, um, I, I, I probably couldn't say this enough, right? We have a very hard profile. We're hiring customer success people who are engineers, who are developers uh, yeah. uh, and, and actual engineers, hardware engineers, manufacturing engineers, right? And we're making them do customer success, project management at Boast. And there's two kinds of project managers here. One of the project managers is analyzing customers' data that we pull through their systems to help identify what work qualifies for R&D and, uh, and help write reports and deal with IRS. And so the reason why we do that is because R&D tax credit is an engineering program. And uh, when accountants come in at the end of the year and they ask a CTO at the end of the year, tell me what you did in R&D that meets this narrow criteria, CTO is like, oh man, it's so much work. I got to go through my data. So what yeah. we do is we proactively analyze it by our engineers and they have a conversation with the CTO. Now like a five, six, seven, 10 hour conversation and calls becomes a one hour conversation. And then when the government audits them, they can He's tell ready. the government that this yeah. is why it qualifies because they're an engineer. But the thing is, they're not perfect from their job for that position, yeah. right? They only have engineering knowledge. So we got to find engineers have technical aptitude and then train them on there's this no done it job. before there there's no done it there's, before yeah, yeah 
<coughs> there's no done it before. So, uh, and even if there is, we want, we don't want people to come with preconceived notions. We want people to train into our process because we feel we have the best process. Everyone else is coming at the end of the year. We're doing it proactively through the year. So we train like literally dozens and dozens of people, right? So that's not the mindset. Definitely. Now, moving into the last one of the day, which was like learning to delegate to move faster, right? Like uh, you've done a lot of like different functions in your job, right? So that is a habit that dies hard, right? When you would like to be involved in everything. Um, so that what's interesting for me, do you think that if you hire people that have truly done it before, right? If you get tomorrow through the door, that CMO that has a track record that is like impeccable, would that make that easier for you to delegate or would no, you still it, be it, fucked? It, <laughs> it, it'll, it'll never be easier. Yeah. I think, I, think, I think you just have to build it into your DNA. Uh, and honestly, like it's got to a point uh, where I'm sending our, our newsletters on Sunday, I'm building website pages, I'm writing specs. Uh, I can delegate a lot of stuff But to delegate, you gotta you gotta fill a little bit of the team. Because my also the other thing is like with a lean team, you don't want to overwhelm people, right? Yeah. I just don't want to take my whole thing and put it on the next person because you definitely know when when you're juggling too many things, uh, you cannot focus. You cannot basically hold somebody accountable to one metric. And the other thing is they may fail, and you're setting them up for failure. Your job as a leader is also to set up everyone for success. So I'm fine consuming that because my company and I can do a bunch of things. But honestly, delegating is hard. And especially when you've been doing it with your hands and you over scrutinize and everything doesn't need to be 100%. I'm, I'm starting to program this into my head. 90% is okay. Maybe 80% is also okay. Uh, but I'm trying to build higher people uh, to take things over. And maybe it's a matter of, you know, I got to take like a one month, hire these people um, and- Just luck yourself and, out. Yeah. And, and just, just get out of the way. Out, right? So one of the key things is, this is what I'm trying to program myself is, be an input, not an approver, right? And hire smart people and get out of their way. So give them the mission, vision, and metrics, but leave the execution autonomy to them. There's a tricky balance there, right? Because in conversations that I had plenty of times, like as a marketer, when you join a company, uh, well, marketing is one of those functions that everybody thinks they can do, right? Because it's very easy to have an opinion about a landing page or about a color or about, about any kind of like thing that is, you know, you cannot have an opinion about a code line if you don't never code it in your life, but about marketing, pretty much every human being can have an opinion. One of the trickiest things there is that when you do get that input, you can get a lot of input. And all of a sudden it starts feeling like you're telling me what to do right? Uh, hey, check out this, check out the other, check out the other. And then when, when you talk about like lack of trust, because in essence, not being able to delegate is lacking trust, right? But when you have that conversation with somebody, because that's the T word sounds a bit more harsh, they'll be like, no, 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 I trust you. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. And like, well, that's not really trust. Like, like, like full on trust would be that you just let me do my job, right? Do, do you feel... Uh, what do you feel is necessary for you to get in that direction? Do you need somebody to prove themselves in the first few months? What's necessary for you to just let them go? You know what? I'm, I'm just, uh, I, I think, so trust is the cornerstone of all relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Trust. And again, one of our, my key things is uh, trust, empathy, uh, passion, and being boldly innovative, right? But um, I think what matters is is just I haven't delegated enough and I need to just get people to do it. More yeah. than trust. I think getting on the same page is important. It's not the question of getting on the same page, but I think what people don't do enough is explain the company's mission, vision, brand promise, uh, key messages, and um, 
coaching on that upfront thing. So what happens is people don't get your voice when they do things, right? And then you're like, oh, I got to get in there. So I think we all need to do a much better job of explaining your company's voice, which is your mission, your vision, your values, your brand promise, and how you deliver value to the customer. And then you can start like sort of backing out, right? Like, I think, yeah. uh, I, I think this is one of the key things is give them, give them that and, uh, and the metrics and then become an input, not an approver, right? And so I'm, I'm trying my best to do that. I think this is the hardest thing uh, f- uh, for me because I come from like, I was sending, I'm, I'm still sending newsletters. Yeah, from know, the one, one. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, but you know, we'll find people who will do it, but I think this is gonna be the hardest thing and uh, I'll let you know how it goes. I think, um, I think also there's a few things because I'm juggling so many things. I have this habit of procrastinating on one thing to the other. So yep. we send a Sunday newsletter and like, I don't have the time to write the copy for it during the week because I'm busy with other things. And like, you know, if somebody probably does it and they'll likely send it to me for approval, I don't even have like the energy to read anything when I'm like back to back calls. Yeah. So I'm like Sunday, I'm like, woke up in the morning, I have a fresh mind. I literally send the newsletter after I bang it out and write it myself, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a combination of procrastination yeah. uh, and, and whatnot, right? So I think, I think when you have a little more bandwidth, and, and you can delegate better. So I think uh, I'm, I have the right intentions. I just have to execute it right now. It's like building the team. But something, <laughs> something that happens when you start delegating more is that all of a sudden you say, well, what is my job, right? As a founder, right? You start delegating a lot of key functions and you're like, where the fuck do I fit, right? You know what? So that is the key <laughs> thing. That is, that, is the, that is the key thing. That is the key thing because yeah. I heard it from a, I heard it from a, from a few people the, in my the company. The floating founder, right? The guy that's there, but nobody knows what his job is. He's just a founder. You know what? That's the <laughs> best. That's the best position to be in. Because I'll tell you why. Yeah. Your your job is not to be the single point of failure in your company. You should be able to go away, and the company should run, and that is success, right? That is a successful business. Because again, I said you owe it to your customers, your clients, your colleagues, uh, yeah, your investors, and whatnot, right? So all your decisions should be that. Um, so your job is not to be a single point of failure. And, and, and I've realized that and I'm, I'm changing things there, <clears throat> right? And, and uh, the second thing is this, I've heard this enough from uh, people yeah, because they're like, oh, if you hire like product managers and you hire like marketers and partnership people, like what, what will you do? What I'll do, <laughs> my job as a leader is two things, uh, inspiring people to grow the company and grow themselves, right? Like, so building building, motivating people uh, to deliver, right? Mm. Inspiring people. If I don't inspire a bunch of smart people and don't motivate them and not help them grow alongside the company, employees will churn, culture will be bad, NPS will be like all that stuff, right? So that is number one. And number two is unscrewing things, like basically finding the gaps and filling it, right? And the third thing is evangelizing the company. If you do those three things externally, you evangelize the company externally, people love your company, you evangelize and, and inspire people internally and they're doing their best job. And then you identify the gaps and you fill it. That's your job as a leader. That's so it. So the two final ones, I completely agree with. The first one, I have a little bit of a, of a catch there that is that 
when when you don't have a clear function, right? And, the, and the, you say you're just a founder. Uh, that, oh, no, I'm saying everyone should have a clear function. Right, but, but that giving an input, right, to different people. The tricky thing with that is that as, you, as your mind works, and I can say it already from how we're talking, right, like really fast thinking and just like really having a lot of ideas by the minute and so on, you're very likely to start sending a lot of stuff to everybody, right? Like, oh, what about this? What about the other? What about the other? And all of a sudden, those people are like, dude, you hired me for a reason, right? So finding that balance there between giving enough input but not being perceived as like, you hired people, let it go, must be really hard for a founder, right? I, I haven't lived it myself, but I think it must be really difficult. I've been on the other side of the equation <coughs> where you go like, dude, can you just leave me alone a bit? But, yeah, you know, my, my co-founder you know, always used to say in the early days, I used to bombard people with messages. Now I do it to one or two people who are very close to me. And he'd always say, just <laughs> like, and so what I do then is like, I became this sort of one man SWAT team. Any new project, any new ideas I had, I tested myself. And if yeah. it was going somewhere, I'd hand it off, right? Yeah. So you should build an innovation. What you need to do if you have enough money eventually is build it, build, hire one or two people to just to focus on innovation. All their job is new ideas. Like exactly. Events, right? And uh, you can and just that, go crazy that, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. No, because what, what I think also, well, and, and to wrap this up and we're going to the resources, but also it's about like putting the the foot on the pedal a little bit before just shooting out every idea, right? So basically you have a thousand ideas, write them down, and at the end of the month or at the end of the, each week, mention the three things you think are gonna make the best difference and the other ones just keep them for yourself. Because yeah, what happens exactly. is that- you, you, you ice you know, score it, right? Like yeah, because exactly. Otherwise sending every random brain fart that you have to everybody just distracts everyone. Because when you get a message from the founder, you, it, I, I have been with many founders that do this. Like they send a message and they say like, oh, but no rush. I just wanted to let you know. But if it comes from the founder, there's always a fucking rush because he owns your business, right? So for an employee, it's always gonna feel like this is my main priority because it comes from my founder. The, the owner of the company. So you also have to put a stop to yourself to be like, okay, I'm not gonna just throw all this stuff on people until I'm a bit more sure, right? Exactly. Okay, we're starting to wrap this up. Any resources you wanna recommend for people before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, so a bunch of resources. Uh, go to TractionConf, actually go to boast.ai uh, forward slash blog. There's a lot of business resources. If you go to YouTube, Google search TractionConf. We have a YouTube channel with hundreds of videos. Um, listen to everything from Jason Lemkin at Saster. Yeah. Um, right. He's phenomenal. Uh, there, you can only focus on a few things. And then uh, on the marketing side, I like Eric Sue's uh, Marketing School podcast and uh, leveling up. Eric Sue is great. And um, there's a new community coming out called Growth Blazers on the marketing side. So they're good. From Vasil, uh, also yeah, a from, previous guest. Yeah, yeah our, our buddy, common buddy, and and continue to watch uh, Ignacio's podcast. But there's no substitute for doing. I hate reading stuff. There's, I, I hate writing. I hate reading. Books. <laughs> I hate I hate reading books too. So what I do is I take on a task and I then try to figure it out and then I read the resources I need. All right, buddy. Great to have you. Thank you for your time. Thanks everybody for joining, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye, All everybody. Right, man. Much love and wishing you great success, my friend. Stay in touch. Bye. All right, bye. Take care.